The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. This morning I want to talk to you about the power of one. The video you just watched um, has more to do with what we might call success in vocation or success in life. And as I watched that video this week to preview it to share with you, I thought, um, boy, if that much can be accomplished by the human will in, in man's efforts, how much more can be accomplished by the body of Christ, empowered and gifted and given uh, victory through the power of the Holy Spirit. This last month we've been encouraging you to find your one, that one person that you would focus prayer on. Uh, the question has been asked, are we only doing this for 30 days? And the answer, I've given a number of times, but the answer is absolutely not. Uh, we have selected one or more as we've been led by the Holy Spirit that we desire to see them come to know Christ and have a relationship to Him. And it's begun by prayer, that we've begun praying every day uh, for those individuals, encouraging them, inviting them uh, to come to service with us, intentionally having times where we might meet with them so that we can get to know their life, their story, and God would open up an opportunity that we'd be able to share our story with them. And this morning, I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 1, verses 40 to 42. And as you're turning there, uh, let me just explain to you the reason the stool today, I have absolutely wrenched my back again. And so, uh, I would appreciate your prayers in that. Uh, but it was too late to call an audible this morning, so here I am. You're stuck with me, right? John chapter 1, verses 40 and 42. I want to talk about the power of one. John writes in his gospel, begins by telling us four names. He says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John, that is, John the Baptist, and followed him. He heard John the Baptist uh, preaching a gospel or a message of repentance in the wilderness. Here's this crazy guy, John the Baptist, long hair, eats honey, eats wild locusts, and he comes out, a teacher, prophet, preaching baptism by repentance, and he says, but there's one that's going to come after me. While I baptize you with water, he is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and whose sandals I am not worthy to even stoop and tie his sandals. And so the message was, I'm preaching a, a message of repentance, but there's one that's greater than me that's going to come. And he first found his own brother, that is Andrew, after he had heard John the Baptist. He first found his own brother Simon, that is later would know as Peter. And he told him, we have found the Messiah which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John, and you will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Father, we pray that as we look at Andrew, this seemingly insignificant apostle, this disciple, this follower of Jesus, God, would you use him to stir our hearts, Lord, in recognizing that God 
while he may uh, appear to be insignificant, God, there is nothing, there's no one, there's no message that is insignificant when it comes to your work empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, open our hearts, encourage us today, God, as we seek to continue to be on mission for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have Peter's brother, Andrew, here. Andrew is probably uh, the least known of the four disciples that you might consider in Jesus' inner circle. We had Peter, James, and John, and Andrew as Peter's brother. Andrew, typically when we read of him in the gospel accounts, we see him kind of in the background. He's, he's not in the forefront of all the things that are going to take place. But we're going to learn and we're going to see that it was through this seeming insignificant Andrew that God used him to invite one who touched thousands. Did you get that? God used this seeming insignificant guy, Andrew, who's in the background, not mentioned a whole lot of times. God used him for one single instance that he would introduce someone else to Christ who God would use to literally affect and still affect thousands today for the mission of the gospel and the encouragement of the body of Christ. Uh, we might look at Andrew and call Andrew the inviter. Uh, not necessarily calling Andrew the, the apostle, but I like to refer to him as the inviter or the bringer or the introducer. Have you ever been to an occasion where there's somebody in the room and when you go into that room with others and you may not know many of them, there always seems to be somebody there who wants to make it their purpose to introduce you to everybody else in the room. They want to make sure that you're welcome, and they want to make sure that you meet the guests that are hosting the event. Well, that's kind of the way Andrew was. Had Andrew never been born, I'd make this bash, uh, brash of a statement, the New Testament that we read today may have, may have significantly been changed. Had Andrew never been born, it's quite possible that maybe Peter, the Apostle Peter, may have never come to know Christ and may have never been introduced to him. Had Peter not come to know Christ, we would have somebody else that was preaching that sermon on the day of Pentecost. Had Peter not been introduced to Christ, those two books, First and Second Peter, that you and I as believers draw such encouragement from when we face the trials of life and the pressures of life, that those encouraging words that tell us to hurl all of our anxieties on Jesus because He cares for us, we may not have those inspiring and sustaining words. Only heaven knows what may have happened had Andrew not introduced Peter to Christ on this day. Andrew was the first of all of the apostles to be called to, to follow Jesus. And his eagerness to follow Christ combined with um, his sense of, of, a, of a zeal to introduce others to Christ typifies, I think, Andrew's character as we see him mentioned in the other Gospels as we read. Uh, Andrew seems to be the, the, the least conspicuous of all the apostles. As a matter of fact, Andrew is only mentioned nine times in the combined synoptic gospels and the gospel of John. Just nine times in all of those chapters. How would you like to be Andrew? You're one of the twelve, but you're only mentioned nine different times when all your other 
compadres are mentioned so many other times. You see, Andrew seems to kind of live in the shadows of his brother Peter. And some of those instances where, Pete, where Andrew is mentioned, he's related to as Peter's brother. Uh, most people know me as Sandy's wife or Sarah and Noah's dad. They don't, they don't know me for myself. How many of you can relate to that? That, Kevin, if, if, if you didn't have your dear bride, nobody would know you, right? Amen to that. And so Andrew is mentioned just simply as Peter's brother. But unless we forget, we recognize that as, as insignificant as Andrew seems to be, he was the one that God used to introduce Peter to Jesus. I like the meaning of Andrew's name. I'd like to change my name to Andrew. Andrew's name means manly. Don't you like that? Manly. Uh, we know that Andrew was a fisherman, and so some of that characteristic probably went along with what he did. Uh, Andrew was, was pretty bold as you read the accounts. He seemed to be decisive and deliberate in all the things that he did. But Andrew himself had a personal encounter with Jesus. You see, it was Andrew that was walking there when he hears John the Baptist. He was a disciple of John the Baptist. And he hears John the Baptist when he spots Jesus and he points to Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God. And Andrew knew exactly what that meant. The Lamb of God, the one who would take away the sins of the world. And so Andrew was so excited to hear John the Baptist say, Behold the Lamb of God, that the first thing we find Andrew do is Andrew goes and he finds his brother Peter. And he says, Hey, come here, Peter. You've got to meet the Lamb of God. I found him. So three things I want to share with you this morning. One in particular about this incident with Peter being introduced to Jesus by Andrew. But there are two other things that we see that Andrew had in his life that he saw the value in, first of all, not only individual people, but we're going to see the two other things that Andrew had a value of that we need to appropriate in our lives as well. You see, Andrew valued the significance of a single soul. He valued the significance of a single soul. He was known for bringing individuals to, to Jesus. Not only is this Peter that he brings to him, but if you remember the feeding of the 5,000, it was Andrew who brings the little boy with five loaves and two fishes to Jesus, just one individual. And Andrew knew the value of introducing just one to Jesus and what God could do through that one who is introduced to Jesus. Some refer to Andrew as the first home missionary because they see that he brought Jews, many Jews, to Jesus, to introduce them to Jesus. He's considered the first foreign missionary of the Gospels because in one instance, in John chapter 12, we see that there were some Greeks that went to Philip. And Philip said to Andrew, hey, Andrew, there's some Greeks here that want to know about Jesus. And it was Andrew who had the tenacity, who had the initiative to bring these Greeks to Jesus where Philip didn't know what to do. And he simply asked Andrew, and I think Philip may have known. Listen, let me clue Andrew in on this because Andrew will know exactly what to do. Here's a fact. Most people do not come to Christ as an immediate response to a sermon they, they hear in a crowded setting. Now, we watch through history the great 
uh, crusades by Billy Graham and others where it seems as though thousands are coming to know Christ and God used him immensely. But if we look at the totality of the body of Christ universally throughout the world, most individuals do not come to Christ through a setting like that. But it's almost always when interviewed, what was significance in you coming to know Christ? And almost in every instance, there was an individual that was there that either invited them, shared their story with them or encourage them that they had a personal relationship with another believer who said, hey, I found this one who has radically changed my life. I'd like to introduce you to him. You may have heard the name D.L. Moody. How many of you have heard of D.L. Moody? Most of us in this room. But I would venture to say many of us have never heard the name Edward Kimball. Maybe if you read D.L. Moody's biography, you may be familiar with that name. But Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher, and God used him instrumentally to lead D.L. Moody to Christ at the age of 18. The stories recounted in D.L. Moody's biography, as Kimball is described, it says that Kimball was anything but bold. He was a timid, soft-spoken man. He went one day to share uh, at the store where D.L. Moody worked, being frightened, trembling, and unaware of whether or not the courage to confront this young man with the gospel, whether or not he would have it. Moody, on the other hand, according to his biography, is described as an individual, an arrogant, crude, illiterate young man, and Kimball decides to go and visit him. You see, D.L. Moody had begun visiting the church where Kimball served as a layperson and meekly as a young adult Sunday school teacher, D.L. Moody had come to attend Kimball's Sunday school class. Kimball recognized almost immediately that this young man, D.L. Moody, although he was coming to the Sunday school class, he did not have a personal relationship with Christ. And Kimball was burdened, just as he was for every other person that attended his class, he was burdened to see D.L. Moody come to know Christ. And so he made a visit to that store one day. And in Kimball's words, he writes this. He says, I decided to speak to Moody about Christ and about his soul. I started downtown to Holton Shoe Store, and when I was nearly there, I began to wonder whether I ought to go just then during the business hours. And I thought maybe my mission might embarrass the boy, that when I, uh, when I went away, the other clerks might ask who I was, and when they learned that I taught D.L. Moody in Sunday school class, they may taunt Moody and ask him if I was trying to make a good boy out of him. While I was pondering all of it, I passed the store without noticing it. Then when I found that I had gone by the door, I determined to make a dash for it and have it over and all at once. Kimball found Moody in the stock room. And with limping words, he writes, I said to him, D.L., do you know Christ? And on that day, D.L. Moody admitted that he did not have a personal relationship with Christ, and he came to know Christ, and later Kimball reflected on it. He said, I never could remember what I said. Something about Christ and his love, that was all. He admitted that it was a weak appeal, 
But D.L. Moody then and there gave his heart to Christ. As you read D.L. Moody's biography and his autobiography, there are a number of names that we see throughout church history had dramatic impact in many coming to know Christ. One of the institutions in our nation that has probably trained more missionaries and pastors of all combined is D.L. Moody's Bible Institute. And from that, the graduate school, Wheaton College, has been developed all because Kimball Although he was nervous and scared. How many of you can relate to that? I mean, how many of you won when I said, hey, I want you to find your one? You thought, you know, I can never do that. And maybe you have your one now and you've been praying for your one and the Holy Spirit's knocking on your door. Hey, I want you to intentionally take some time to get with your one that you're praying for and begin to build a relationship with him. You're like, okay, Lord, I'll build a relationship, but I don't think I can share the gospel with him. And you have that timidity. Had Kimball fallen or followed his timidity, Lord knows how many lives would not have been affected by the ministry of D.L. Moody. Paula Henley, many of you know Paula and Ed, they attend this first service here. Uh, Paula wrote to me an email last week and asked her if I could share it with you as we've been doing this Who's Your One? Paula begins to write in her email to me. She gave me permission to share this. And she says, I felt led of the Lord to let you know one small thing that is going on that you are not even aware of how God is using you in First Conyers. Ed and I have a chiropractor that we have been seeing for about five years. He has seen everything that both of, both of us have been going through. And if you know, Ed has been dealing with cancer. Paula, a number of surgeries she's had to have just in the last few years. And she goes on to write, Lately, he has been witnessing the quick healing process of the two different surgeries that I have endured lately. He is a devout Jew. And he told me that through this process of seeing both Ed and I, he sees the hand of God on both of us. At that, I had the opportunity when he told me this to share with him about Jesus and my salvation experience. I always mention when going through something like this that I have to pray and put my trust in God. He knew that me going through these two surgeries this summer and getting back to my students, she's a teacher, would be a nearly impossible task. But he also heard me tell him that with God, it would happen. And it did, she says. I am extremely worn out this week, but God helped me. Well, my chiropractor found out that we go to First Baptist in Conyers. So guess what he's been doing? He's been listening to the messages online. He's searching. I've been praying for his salvation. God has shown me through all this that we don't understand why we have to endure trials, but at times it may be so that some lost person can see us trusting God. Isn't that amazing? And she's believing that he's going to come to know Christ. Many of you may not have heard me share this part of my story before, but I have something similar that happened to me. It was back in 1983, I was on the island of Guam, you know that I was stationed aboard a submarine, and we pulled into Guam sometime just before Christmas in the year of 1983. Well, it was while I was there on base, I didn't know Christ, I was a good little Christian boy from the south, but I didn't know Jesus, right? My life had been transformed. 
And I met a sailor, and I cannot remember his name, and actually I really don't even remember what he looked like. But I met him that day, and he asked me what I was doing Christmas Day. Christmas Day that year fell on a Sunday. And I told him I really don't have any plans. I guess I'll go to the cafeteria on base, maybe on the submarine, grab some chow. But I didn't have any Christmas plans. And he said, you know, why don't you join me and my wife and my family at our home for Christmas dinner? And I said, man, that would be great. He said, if you're going to do that, though, why don't you go ahead and come to church with us that Sunday morning, that Christmas morning. And I said, yeah. And at that point, I'd do anything for a good Christmas meal, right? It was my first year of marriage. I was missing my wife. It was the first Christmas I'd experienced, not underway on a submarine. And, and man, I was excited to go. And I cannot remember to tell you anything that took place during that service on that Sunday morning at that little white church up on the hill. And I can still see it today. I have no clue what kind of church it was. I don't know the denomination. And none of that matters. All I know is that there was a missionary there who was the pastor. And that Sunday morning, all I could do during the service was weep and cry my eyeballs out. I went to their house for lunch that day, and it was that day that he asked me if I was a Christian. If you remember, I told you, I used to wear a little cross. And of course, I gave him the normal reply, yeah, I am. I'm from the South. I'm white. I grew up Southern Baptist. Yeah, I'm a Christian. But he somehow knew that I was not born again. And so it was the following Sunday that he invited me to come to church, which would have been New Year's Day. And the last time I saw him was New Year's Day morning when he came to my bunk to wake me up to take me to church. And I had only been in my bunk about from about an hour earlier. And as a sailor on New Year's Eve, you probably can imagine what I had been doing. And I was too ashamed. But it was that conversation, it was that day that just a couple of days later, I bowed my knee to Jesus and I asked him to be Lord of my life. That one individual, I have no idea who he was today, but he saw the significance in one. And I thank God that I came to know Jesus. Here's some statistics I want to share with you real quick. 80% of believers believe that they have a personal responsibility to share Christ with others. And that would mean in this room, eight out of ten of us believe that we have a personal responsibility, that it's not the preacher's responsibility, it's not the staff's responsibility, it's every believer's responsibility to share Christ with someone else. Eighty percent believe that. Statistics tell us that of those eighty percent that believe it's their personal responsibility, only 61% uh, of those have never shared with someone else how they might be able to come to know Christ. 60%, 61%. While they realize they have a personal responsibility, they never have taken that step to either share their story of how they came to know Christ or tell that person how they can come to know Christ. Of the 80%, 75% say that they are comfortable sharing the gospel. And so it's not that we haven't had enough training in evangelism. It's not that we haven't had enough instruction. I'm not sure what the answer is. But of those 80% that say it's their responsibility, 61% have never told anybody how to come to know Christ. 48% of those 80% in the last six months have not, have never invited someone else to come to church with them. 
to come so that someone else might share the gospel with them at least. 19% of those 48% have invited someone in the last six months. Now, what do all these statistics tell us? They tell us two things. They tell us, number one, that, that most people are very comfortable and see it as their responsibility of sharing Christ with somebody else. The second thing it tells us is that we're either apathetic, we don't care, or we really don't believe the gospel and it transforms lives. I'm not sure what it tells us. But all I'm saying is this in sharing those statistics. Folks, the church, the body of Christ, is one generation away from extinction if we do not go and tell. Can somebody say amen to that? Jamie Cutter, uh, Blake's wife, shared with me an email this week. Uh, she had been concerned because most of her ones uh, uh, were not in the local area. She's a homemaker. She has a toddler. She's not out very much. And she said, you know, I'm not, what do I do? There's nobody that really is on my heart that I, everybody I know is kind of church folks, friends here at the church because I'm stuck in my house every day with my toddler and I don't, I don't have many opportunities to be with unsaved people. And so somebody counseled her, you know, it's okay to pray for somebody long distance. So, she says, my friend called me a few weeks ago and told me that her father-in-law had been diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. It was all over his body, and he was not given very much hope for treatment or a cure. Her husband is in the ministry at a local church. He had tried numerous times to share the gospel with, her, with his dad. When they found out about the cancer, they didn't have much hope that he would come to Christ, but they continued to share the gospel with him. The Lord put it on my heart that he can be my one, although he's a long way away, and I began praying earnestly for him, and I began encouraging her, praying that he would come to know Christ. They were able to convince him last week to visit a local church. While he was there, he accepted Christ that Sunday, and he was baptized the following week. Amen. The power in one. Folks, you are that one. Never underestimate what God can do through the life of one individual who is willing to be obedient to what he's called us to do. That we pray and that we go because we never know what God is going to do. And that one that comes to know Christ through our testifying to them, our witnessing to them, our living the Christian life out with them, our loving them unconditionally, what God might do. The second thing I want us to notice about Andrew, very brief, is not only that he saw the significance and the value in one insignificant seeming person, but he saw the value of insignificant gifts. You remember me sharing with you the story of the feeding of five, the 5,000? You see, it was Jesus that asked intentionally to fill up, what are we going to do? There are so many here. And it was Andrew, though, that, that went out to see what they might be able to do. And he's the one that found the little boy with five loaves and two fish, and he brings him to Jesus. And he does say, but I'm not sure what this is going to do with all of this many. But he introduces the little boy with the seeming insignificant gift to Jesus. And in the hands of Jesus, that very little gift was multiplied and affected many. I remember the story where Jesus is sharing of, of the lady who is 
coming and putting her offering in the temple. And the gospel writer records for us that he looked up and saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. He saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. And truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all these people have put in gifts out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put in all that she had to live on. You see, not only do we see the value or the power of one in introducing someone else to Jesus, we see in this story that there is absolutely nothing in God's eyes as we are offering to Him, whether it be in service, whether it be into obedience, whether it be in giving, that God can take the smallest of things and multiply them for His glory. Amen to that? You see, God's ability to use a gift in no way is hindered by the size of the gift. God's ability to use your testimony with someone else is in no way hindered by what you might see as the insignificance of your conversion. Sometimes we think that the only important stories that people have to share is where they were locked up for 30 years in a federal penitentiary. They'd been strung out on drugs. They had killed 22 people. And all of a sudden, they came to know Jesus, right? Listen, no individual is insignificant to God. The last thing we see in Andrew's life was that he saw the value of inconspicuous service. Remember I shared with you that it seems that Andrew most of the time is, is just kind of in the backdrop. He, he's thought of not as Andrew but as Simon Peter's brother. Just nine little times he's mentioned there in the Gospels. So I get the picture of Andrew that Andrew was the kind of guy that just served in the background. He didn't need a crowd. He was always looking for individuals. Oftentimes, we are guilty because of our human nature to, to kind of want to elevate the person that's in the forefront. But can I tell you that no one is more specific, no one is more elevated in God's eyes based on the service that they conduct or based on the gift that they use or based on the ministry that they're in. There are no first places in the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, the only first place that Jesus ever mentions is the one who becomes a servant of all. He, he says, or she, is the one who is first in the kingdom of God. And I see this kind of in Andrew's life. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul mentions this. He says, don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. I love what Howard Greer, who served here a number of years as interim pastor and then pastor in different roles. I love Howard Greer's statement. He, he, now he serves as a cares, cares pastor down at Eagle's Landing. And Howard said this to me one day. He said, you know what? I've learned that I can pastor from the back pew or the pulpit. It doesn't matter as long as God sees fit to use me. Let me conclude by saying this. Folks, there are no insignificant people in God's eyes. There's a value in every soul because they're all created in His image. 
There are no insignificant people in the body of Christ. And God's plan is to use you and to use me in the body of Christ. Regardless of what place or position where we serve, God uses his people. And it's amazing to see what God will do through one enabled, by the Holy Spirit, available individual. Share your story. Conclude, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 to 29. Paul says this, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something so that no one may boast in his presence. God wants to use you regardless of how insignificant you may think you are. In the hands of an almighty God, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, he can use us to affect and bring many to salvation in Christ. Folks, who's your one? Intentionally pray, intentionally invite, and intentionally share. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.